following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. Would you open up to Matthew chapter 13? While you're opening up to Matthew 13, George Gallup did a survey of churches and discovered some interesting information. One of the questions that was asked was, what do you need from your church? And the top six answers were, I want my church to help me believe that life is meaningful and has purpose. That was the top answer. Then the second one was, I need my church to help me have a sense of community and deeper relationships. That's what they were looking from church. Third answer was, I need my church to help me feel appreciated and respected. Just that whole self-esteem thing. Another one said, uh, not another one, this is the top six answers to a survey done of thousands of people. Uh, To be listened and heard. The fifth one was to grow in faith. And the sixth one was to receive practical help in developing a mature faith. Now, I, I believe that some of these can be accomplished in the congregational setting that we have here, where you come and you participate in a congregational setting. But not all of them can be accomplished in a setting like this. But all of them can in a connect group. Because in a connect group, there's much more intimacy. There's much more interaction. There's much more support. There's much more focus upon you as an individual. And, you know, it's hard to do that. It really is our heart to do that. So I, I want to share with you this morning, just biblically, why connect groups are so important. So there's a scripture in Matthew 13, verses 36 to 39, that I want to read to you. But it's connected to um, a verse in verse 24, a parable that Jesus gave. It says, uh, he, he put a parable forth saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. This is, and then verse 25, it says, but while he slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. In other words, sowed some weeds among the wheat. What do you reckon of that sort of a mongrel dog that would do something like that? Uh, you yeah, go sowing the wheat and someone goes and sows weeds in the middle of the wheat. And so verse 36 says, then Jesus sent the multitude away. I don't know if you can, if you can see this. Here's Jesus teaching the multitudes, big crowds of people on a hillside. He's teaching them all. And then in verse 36, he sends them all away. They all go home. And the Bible says that uh, they went away and he went into the house and his disciples came to him. So what you've got, Jesus teaching the crowd. And now They've gone into a house and Jesus has got a small group, small group of 12 people and himself. And so in that small group, the disciples came to him saying, Jesus, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. We heard it. We heard it in the crowd. But can you explain it to us? And then Jesus says, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares, the weeds, are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who'd sowed them is the devil. 
The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. And all of a sudden they go, wow, I never saw that. I never understood that. I heard it, but I never understood it. And I really believe that, that, that in crowds and gatherings, we hear a lot of things. But do we really understand it? One of the, let, let me tell you one of the frustrating things that we pastors face. And so you, you, you'd understand this, Pastor John Ollis. One, one of the frustrating things we face is that we spend hours and hours and hours preparing our messages. But most of you forget everything we've said within a few hours. You know, it's very fr- except there's a few of you that might remember 5%. But uh, we, we don't think John McLennan, he, he remembers messages that I preached 10 years ago. I mean, he's a freak. I'm telling you, he is a freak, a good freak. Not a bad freak. But, but the majority of you, if I said to you, what did I preach on last Sunday? You're all freaks. You can all remember. This is awesome. I love that. But, you know, it, it's, I just know that you, if, if you can remember the four points, that's about 5% of the message. And the other 95%, it's like it's just zzz, it just disappears. And, and that's fine. I understand that. I come to grips with that. But what happens in a small group is that we're able to dig deeper. We're able to get greater understanding. And so what Jesus did is that he separated the crowd from the small group. And he actually gave more into the small group. So just a couple of lessons we learned from this text is, number one, Jesus had a small group. And why don't we see that? We know that Jesus had disciples, but in actual fact, he did the discipling in a small group. Hello? That's, there's, there's a lesson there for us. That discipling is not necessarily done in crowds. It's done in small groups. And as much as I would love to disciple you in the congregation, you only will, ab- will be able to grasp a few things that I say. But in small groups, you're able to grasp the teaching at a deeper level. Why? Because you actually get to discuss it. You know, it's a bit awkward for us to start discussing things now. You know, you put up your hand. Pastor John, I've got a question. How many of you know there's not much in, in, except yay or, or, or a few little words or there. But, you know, for everybody to have their say in, in a setting like this is very, very difficult. But in a small group, you're able to contribute, able to say something. Second lesson we learn from this text is that Jesus gave the small group more revelation than the big group. Just remember that. The big group, they did not get the revelations. They had no idea that he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. They have no idea of that. But in the small group, the disciples are going, wow, that's awesome. Wow, now I understand. Now that parable makes sense. Third lesson we learn from this text is that Jesus made room for interaction with the small group. In, in the crowd, they weren't able to ask, excuse me, Jesus, what does that mean? It was in the small group that the disciples had the boldness to say, hey, Jesus, would you explain to us the parable? Of the tears of the field? Jesus, of course I will. This is the setting for explanation. That was the setting for preaching. But this is the setting for explanation. 
You've got to understand that. It's up what small groups do. And the fourth thing that I want to say, the fourth lesson, is that spiritual growth is accelerated in small groups. I want us to say that spiritual growth... Come on, just humor me, please. <laughs> spiritual growth is accelerated in small groups. And one of the cultures of our church is growing spiritually. See, one, we've only got three cultures in this church. It's loving God, helping others, growing spiritually. And so what we want everyone in this church to do is to love God, help others, and grow spiritually. And do you know what? Just by coming to church, you'll get spiritual growth. When you hear me preach, you'll, hear, you'll get spiritual growth. When you worship, you'll get spiritual growth. When you hear you know, one of our members like Cynthia prophesying, you'll get spiritual growth. But when you actually get into a small group and do life with others, we are able to discuss an iron sharpening iron, you actually accelerate your spiritual growth. So this is the question is this, how passionate are you to increase your spiritual growth? See, at the beginning of the year, this is what I discovered, that I was physically alive, but not really physically healthy. Now, my wife was telling me that for ages. She was on my back saying, John, you're not doing too well physically. And, and my response was, I'm alive. I'm okay. And I'm Italian and I like to eat. And I like food and pasta. You guys like pasta? Don't you like pasta? Some of you even like Pastor John. But you know what had to happen was this, that I had to get my own vision to become physically healthy. Anne had a vision for me. <laughs> Don't go there, no. <laughs> See, there's interaction happening right there. But you know what happened is that I had to make that vision of physical health, my own vision, before it made me do anything about it. Up until that stage, I was just trying to appease her. How many men know what it's like to appease your wife? Yeah, yeah, very soon. It'll happen. Just don't worry. Yep, we'll get to it in a moment. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. But what happened was that at the beginning of the year, a, a, a switch flicked over. And I thought, this is my vision. And when it became my vision, I got motivated to do something about it. So I, I have a vision for you, <laughs> and I'm going to pester you about it. I want you spiritually healthy. And some of you are saying, but I'm spiritually alive. I'm born again. And I'm saying, yeah, but there's much more than that. You know, see, it, see it's not just about being converted. You know, and 99% of people here are converted. You, you've, you've put your faith in Jesus. You're born again. But that's not the end of the journey. His desire was not just for you to be converted, but to become a disciple. And you say, well, what's the difference? Oh, I'm glad you asked that question. Because a convert is very me and God-centered. See, a convert, they're a convert because they've realized I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. And Jesus died for me 
in order for my sins to be forgiven. And that's the truth. That's the gospel. That's the, that's the centerpiece of the Bible. And he did. And what a wonderful thing. How many of you remember the day you got born again? You got saved. But the beautiful thing about God is that he doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to take you on. Where now it's not just about you and your salvation. But now you start to see others and their salvation. See, a convert is very me-centered. A disciple is very others-centered. A convert is all focused on me being blessed. I want to be blessed. I want to be under the spout where the glory comes out. I, I want to feel the tingles. I want to feel the buzz. I, I, I want to do, oh, I, I want someone to pray for me and fall on the floor and, and feel all those wonderful feelings. And that's wonderful for converts. But disciples are people that say, I'd love for people to be blessed. And not only that, I want to be a blessing that blesses others. And so what we've got in our church, did you notice how many different people appeared on this stage today? Did you notice how many people that we picked out? Because every single one of those people have lifted up their hand and says, I don't just want to be blessed. I want to be a blessing. And do you know what? That's spiritual growth. And that's what I'm looking for you. That's my vision for you. But I want it to be your vision for you. And until it becomes your vision for you, it just stays my vision for you. And that's what we do in small groups is that we help you on the journey of convert to disciple. But you know that? Even when you become a disciple, you don't stay there. You say, well, what, what's after disciple? Well, the next step is where you become a disciple maker. So you've gone from being a convert, you become a disciple, and then you become a disciple maker. And that's the goal. That's what Jesus wanted. That's the Great Commission in, in, in Matthew 28, where he says, go to all nations and make disciples. So the ultimate goal of your salvation is not just your conversion, not you just becoming a disciple, but you becoming a disciple maker. And when you become a disciple maker, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that's when you are spiritually healthy. Simple. So what's the deal? Well, here it is. You got a little card on your seat. Would you take it out, please? Would you take out your card? So I'd love everybody to fill this card out. And um, you say, well, just it says the date. Well, the date today is the 17th of the 2nd. Then it says, please tell us, are you visiting, looking for a new church, updating your details, or looking for a connect group? I would love, if you don't go to a connect group, just to put a tick in that, looking for a connect group, and then give us your details, and we will help you find a connect group. Now, when you fill this out, what you'll notice on the bottom is, please note, we honor your privacy and we'll abide by the terms of our privacy policy, which you can read uh, on our website. So we, we will literally honor your privacy in this. We will not give your details out to anyone. We'll just keep it within our church to use and to bless you and to help you on your spiritual journey. But seriously, my encouragement to you is this. Is if you want to get spiritually healthy, get into a connect group. You, you may be spiritually alive, but you need more than that. You need to be spiritually healthy.
Let me pray while we just fill out our cards. Father, I just pray that today you will do something awesome in people's lives. I pray, Lord, that our connect groups will just go from strength to strength. I just pray, Lord, that that uh, you will just help every single person in this church come into the fullness that you have for them in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. While you fill out your cards, I want to finish off this morning by just telling you the two big events. You say, what? The two big events? Hey, have, have you been to some big events here on planet Earth? Well, these two big events are out of this world because they don't belong to planet Earth. They are the two biggest events that will occur in heaven. You say, what? Yeah, I want to talk to you about the two biggest events that will occur at the end of this age. When God says, it's closing time, gentlemen. There's the rapture of the church. You say, the rapture of the church? That's a bit weird. No, the Bible tells us that in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who remain will be changed. In the twinkling of an eye, we'll be caught up in the air to be with the Lord. He will take us to heaven to be with him forever and ever and ever. And then these two big events happen. The two, everybody say the two big events. One's called the great white throne. And the other is called the judgment seat of Christ. He said, well, well, let me tell you what the first event is. This great white throne. This great white throne is the reading of the registry book of heaven. There's a registry book in heaven. It's called the book of life. Another verse calls it the Lamb's book of life. I call it the registry book of heaven. And it gets opened up on this event at the great white throne. And the names of those who get to live in heaven forever and ever will be read out. Can you imagine what it would be like in that huge crowd when the book is opened? And the names start getting read out. Joseph Tam. Peggy Tam. And you hear your name. And, and, but, but some people are waiting. They're waiting, 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 waiting for their name to be read. And their name does not get read out. And then the Bible says that once that book was closed, the books were open. And then for all those whose names did not get read out in the book of life, books were opened that had their names in it. And what was read out was the reasons why they're not getting into heaven. You know, friends, let me tell you something. I want to have the guarantee that my name is written in the book of life. Does anybody else want to make that guarantee? How many of you know how to make the guarantee that your name is written in the book of life? Let me tell you, it's so simple. Here it is. It's as simple as A, B, C. A is for admitting that you've made mistakes. Admitting that that book that's written with all the mistakes is true and God doesn't lie. It's true. Admitting that I've made mistakes. You know, it's one of the greatest things that we can do to humble ourselves and admit that we made mistakes. I can't believe that there's so many people that are so proud and arrogant that won't admit that. Their attitude is, well, well, I'm a good person because I've never killed anybody. I'm a good person because I've never stolen anything. 
But the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And all we've got to do is admit it. And once we've admitted it, then we can move to step number two, which is to believe that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. To believe that. When he died upon the cross 2,000 years ago, he did not die because he was a bad man. He died because he was a perfect man. And was paying the penalty for all of your mistakes. See, that's, that's the critical point of the gospel. That it's not by works that I'm saved. It's by grace. It's a free gift of God. He paid the penalty when he died upon the cross. And if I believe that he died for me and I, he rose on the third day from the dead, ascended into heaven, and I'm a believer in that. And let me tell you, I am a believer in that. Is there anybody else here that's a believer in that? Come on. He said, well, what, what's, what's the third thing? Ah, the C is for confess Him as your Lord and Savior. Confess Him as your Lord and Savior. Well, what does that mean? See, confession of Jesus as your Lord and Savior is not just words out of your mouth. It's an expression of what's in your heart. And I love what David Chalapa said today. Because that man saved my life, everything that I have belongs to him. When you have a realization that Jesus saved your life, your attitude is, Jesus, whatever you want is yours. I start with my life. I start with my allegiance. I start with, the, with my obedience. I'm not going to dictate to you. You dictate to me. I'm not going to tell you what I must do. You tell me what I must do. That's what it means to confess Jesus as Lord. It's this life of obedience. It's this life of surrender. It's this life that says, Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. Whatever you want, I want. And I'm willing to follow you to the ends of the earth till the end of my life. And when you're willing to admit you've made mistakes, believe that Jesus paid the penalty for your sins, confess Him as your Lord and Savior, you will be saved. And your name will be written in the book of life. And God will cause you to live with Him forever and ever and ever. Can anybody say amen to that? And my friends, that's the gospel. Just a five-minute nutshell that is the gospel. And you say, well, what's, what's the second event? Well, once your names have been read out and you enter into heaven, then we've got the second event. And the Bible calls this the judgment seat of Christ. I call this the office. What's the office? Jesus says, hey, John, now that you've made it, come into the office. I want to have a chat with you. Take a seat. I'm so glad that you made it into heaven. Now we, let's, talk about, let's talk about what you did as a Christian. Hey, John, what was the last thing that I said before I ascended into heaven? Well, I think you said to make disciples of all nations. Yeah, that's right, I did. Uh, how did you go with that? How, how many disciples did you make? What are their names? How are they doing? Are they here? What was the other part of the Great Commission? 
Didn't you say go into all the world and preach the gospel? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, How did you go with that, preaching the gospel? How many people did you lead to eternal life? How many people are here because of your endeavors? Do you know what? I know that on that day, my head won't be down in, in shame. But you know what? I don't want your head to hang down in shame either. I want on that second visitation, that second big event, for every single one of you to say, I went to a church that encouraged me to get involved. I went to a church that would not allow me to become spiritually comfortable, but motivated me to become spiritually healthy. And friends, I want to encourage you to grow spiritually, to get into your spirit that you should not only be spiritually alive, but spiritually healthy. And the only way that you can attain to spiritual health is to be all that God wants you to be. And today there is an invitation. Get involved. Get involved with the work of God. There's invitations all over the world to get involved with what they've got on. But I'm inviting you to what heaven's got on. I'm inviting you to what Jesus put on. I'm inviting you to the greatest quest, the greatest goal that exists on this planet. That's the quest of Christ for the souls of men, women, and children. Get involved. Be spiritually healthy. Be all that God wants you to be because this is the will of God for your life. Come on, church. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 